And would you now read responsively with me the song of Simeon. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Please be seated. For this Advent season, on Wednesday nights here at Vespers, we've been looking at the songs of Advent from the book of Luke, chapters 1 and 2. We began with Mary's song, and last week we looked at Zachariah's song. This week we'll look at another man and woman, Simeon and Anna. But before we do that, let's retrace our steps, and let's enter into the story of Mary and Joseph, so that we can imagine what this couple must have been feeling what this couple must have been thinking as we come into tonight's text. I think this is what Luke would want us to do. Because in the first two chapters, we're told three times that Mary and Joseph treasured these events in their hearts, that they marveled at these events as we read tonight. By the time we come to chapter two in Luke's gospel, this young couple has had an incredible nine months. To start things off, the angel Gabriel comes to visit Mary unexpectedly. Unexpectedly, She was likely just a teenager. <clears throat> Perhaps she was working in her house. Maybe she was just getting ready to turn in for the night. When God's messenger suddenly appears and says, Mary, you have found favor with God. His Holy Spirit will come upon you. And even though you're a virgin, you will conceive a son, and he will reign on the throne of King David forever. And he will be the son of the Most High God. Oh, and by the way, your old cousin Elizabeth has been hiding a pregnancy for six months. So Mary makes a beeline to Elizabeth's house to get the scoop in the next passage. When she shows up, though, Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, can't talk because of his unbelief. Elizabeth doesn't seem too bothered by this because her baby leaps for joy in her womb when Mary enters the room. For as Elizabeth says, the baby in Mary's womb is the Lord himself. Some time passes by. Baby John is born to Elizabeth. Zechariah gets his voice back. And Mary and Joseph make their way to Bethlehem for the census. While there, Mary goes into labor. She gives birth to Jesus with a stable as her maternity ward and with a feeding trough as a crib for her baby. That very same night, a group of shepherds shows up unexpectedly, reporting that the sky was filled with the very glory of God, and that an army of angels filled the sky, praising God for the birth of his Messiah to his people Israel. Which brings us to tonight's passage here in Luke 2, starting in verse 22. Only a few verses are printed in your bulletin, so I'm going to set the stage for us a little bit. After about a month after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph come to the temple in Jerusalem to do two things. One, to fulfill the law's requirement of purification for Mary after having given birth, 
and two, to present their firstborn son to the Lord and and offer a redeeming price. But as they enter the temple, Luke immediately tells us that two elderly worshipers approach them, a devout man named Simeon and a prophetess named Anna. Now, when Simeon first sees Jesus, he takes the baby out of his parents' arms and he says, I've been waiting for this day. The Holy Spirit showed me that I would not die until I saw his Messiah, his chosen one. And I'm ready to go now because I've now seen him face to face. What would you do if somebody said that, holding your baby? I remember when the doctor first held up our newborn son, Sam, our firstborn. He told us that at 23 inches, he was the longest baby he'd ever delivered in his decades of work. And at 10 pounds, 4 ounces... He was one of the heaviest as well. You can congratulate my wife later if you like. As wonderful as that moment was for me, it can't quite compare to the words that Simeon had for Mary and for Joseph. Can you imagine what this young couple must have been feeling? Honestly, the text doesn't go into a lot of detail. It just says that they marveled at these words. But before Mary and Joseph are able to get too carried away, Simeon quickly follows up with some more somber words. In verses 34 and 35 of our passage, Simeon speaks directly to Mary. And he says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that's opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul, Mary, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So it's here in this passage that Luke takes this story in an unexpected direction. At this point in the narrative, he begins to reveal to his readers, just as Simeon begins to reveal to this young couple, that while Jesus is king, the king who embodies all of our hopes and all of our dreams, he accomplishes his mission not by conquest, but by suffering. You see, when Simeon enters the story, he's described as a righteous man and as a pious man. But not only that, our text tells us that he was a man actively waiting for something, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The word for consolation used here in Luke is actually the same word used in the Greek version of our Isaiah 66 passage that Wade read for us earlier. This word consolation is also comfort, or in the Greek, paraklesis. We'll come back to that in a minute. The Isaiah 66 passage reads, As one whom his mother comforts, so I, God speaking, I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. So here we see that Simeon knows something. He knows that this baby was the one who would finally bring the comfort our sins need. He'd finally bring to Israel, and in fact to all the nations, the comfort promised to us by Isaiah centuries earlier and by the other prophets. But how was Jesus going to go about accomplishing this consolation? How would he bring us this comfort? Up to now, Mary and Joseph have mostly been told of the great and wondrous person that Jesus would be. The Messiah, the King, the Son of the Most High. But Simeon begins to reveal what kind of king Jesus came to be. He didn't come as a wrathful king, ready to instate his new law and order, but as a king who comforts his people, as a mother comforts her children. 
In his first epistle, John explains for us that Jesus doesn't just give us comfort as a commodity. He doesn't just dole out this paraclesis like Santa Claus. No, rather, through his humble suffering, he becomes our comfort. He becomes our paraclete. You know, this word paraclete is usually uh, referred to in theological texts and in readings to refer to the Holy Spirit as our helper. But in John's epistle, he also uses it for Jesus as our advocate. You see, comfort for our sin is found not in our own ability to wash ourselves clean, as John says in his letter. No, our sin finds an answer in the cleansing blood of a Savior who died, but who now stands at our side, interceding for us before God, advocating for you and for me in our sin. As we often sing here on Sunday mornings, Five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers, they strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh forgive, they cry. Forgive him, oh forgive, they cry. Don't let that ransom sinner die. The comfort that this baby would bring would not be some trite holiday well-wishing. Now his comfort would be that of a grown man who would take our place, who would plead our cause before God. Our comfort would come through his suffering and through his death. You see, when Simeon lifts up that little one-month-old baby, he proclaims in verse 30 that he has seen the very salvation of God. The text doesn't tell us much about how much Simeon knows about this, but he does know that this salvation would be costly, that would pierce the very heart of his dear mother Mary. You see, in this passage, there's a lot of echoes to another passage in the Old Testament about a woman named Hannah. If you remember, the barren Hannah prayed to God for a child. God heard her prayer and gave her a son named Samuel. And when Hannah came to the tabernacle with Samuel, it was to dedicate him to a lifetime of service. Certainly, this was hard for Hannah. Certainly, this pained her, lending her to God, as the text says, for the rest of his life. He would be in the service in the tabernacle. But now here we are a thousand years later with Mary back in the house of God with her promised son. But Mary's pain would be much greater than Hannah's. For one day, her son would give his back to the scourges of injustice. One day, he would give his head to a crown of thorns in his hands, his feet, and his side to the cold steel of hatred. Until finally, he would give up his own spirit in death. Indeed, in just a few short years, a sword would pierce Mary's heart. And hear all the joyous songs of the heavenly hosts that the shepherds came telling this young couple about, and the sweet lullabies that Mary and Joseph sang to their firstborn son suddenly became a lot heavier. Simeon was singing in a minor key. But before Mary's able to ask how this is all going to come about, in comes Anna which just so happens to be the Greek form of the name Hannah. She's an 84-year-old prophetess, the text tells us, who had been widowed for most of her adult life, a woman devoted to prayer, devoted to worship in the temple and to fasting. And when Hannah comes, she brings us out of this somber interlude and back into a song of hope. You see, Luke provides us a little nugget in verse 36 that's it's pretty easy to miss. The text tells us that Anna was the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. 
Phanuel is the Greek for penile, which means the face of God. And Asher was one of the ten lost tribes, so-called, who had rejected the kingdom of David centuries earlier when the kingdom divided in 1 Kings 12. So here's Anna, a woman of a tribe once lost, but now found, beholding the very face of God. Here we have Anna, the first fruits of God's kingdom that would expand from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and until the very ends of the earth, as Luke will tell us in his second volume in Acts. And then in verse 38, what do we read? We read that Anna, coming up at that very hour, began to give thanks to God and to speak of him, to speak of him of all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Anna, this daughter of the tribe of Asher, had now become one of the first evangelists of the kingdom that this baby was born to bring and to rule. She couldn't hold in her joy. She gave jubilant thanks to God and told everyone she met of the good news of this born baby. This baby that they'd all been waiting for for centuries. For all the people gathered in the temple that day, their advent waiting, just like we are waiting in our advent season, had reached its climax. Their song had reached its crescendo. The king was born. He was here. But even Anna's song would end on a minor note. For the redemption that she promises, or we might say the ransom of Jerusalem that Anna proclaimed, would only be achieved when this baby would grow up and offer his own life as the ransom for many. And so for us also, our Advent season is one of both somber reflection and joyful anticipation. The two go together. They cannot be separated. As we sing the minor notes of suffering of a, of a baby who would become the slain lamb offered up for our ransom, we're also filled with the joyful, hope-filled melodies of the Easter that we know is coming. As we sing to and serve the risen King whose second Advent will take every pierced heart and make it rejoice. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, this evening, would you encourage us with these words that because of the good news of your Son, Jesus, both in our suffering as well as in our joys, you are present. You are here. You are God with us. You are Emmanuel. And so for this reason... We come to you with hearts open, with faces lifted up, proclaiming your goodness, proclaiming your grace and your love for us, of a God who loves us, just like a baby loves her newborn child. We give you thanks for these things, in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>